You're listening to the sermon audio for English Ministries at Tri-City Chinese Christian Church. We meet on Sundays at 11.30 a.m. at the Kyle Center in Port Moody, British Columbia. This morning, the series that uh, we've called Story of God, going kind of through the overview of the story of the Bible and uh, picking up on kind of some of the main narrative things that speak to the major um, narrative going throughout the Bible. So we don't touch on every single book of the Bible because then we'll be here for like three or four years <laughs> on the same series. Um, and so it's kind of just a, a thousand foot, 10,000 foot look um, down onto the series. So last week we uh, saw that God created the universe by solving the problems of formlessness, emptiness, darkness, and chaos upon the earth. And the pinnacle of his creation is the creation of humanity, whom he makes in his own image. And by doing so, he gives them the capacity to uh, have authority to rule over the earth. And so he creates Adam and he sees that uh, it's not quite good yet because Adam was alone and it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So he makes Eve as a suitable helper to him. They are placed in the garden where their tendon... Uh, to creation, and they're walking alongside God. They're told that they can eat from any tree in the garden, uh, except for one tree, the tree in the middle, that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says that uh, they were the husband and wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And so now we go into kind of Genesis 3 here, which is going to be, um, uh, again, kind of a rewrite that I've done. So again, images will come up on the screen. Um, or you can kind of close your eyes and, and envision the story uh, as well, whichever works for you. So one day they're walking in the garden when Eve uh, hears a noise. Psst! She's looking around, and she couldn't see where it was coming from. Psst! It was coming from inside a tree. As she looked through the branches of the tree, she saw a snake. Its feet dangling out of the tree, staring at her. The snake said to Eve, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Eve thought to herself, Did God say we cannot eat from the trees? No, she replied. He said we could eat from any tree in the garden. It's just not from this tree that we are allowed to eat from. For if we eat its fruit, we will surely die. The serpent gave a hissing scoff, you will certainly not die, it replied to her. God knows that if you eat this fruit, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve looked at the tree. The fruit did look rather delicious, and could it really make her wise like God? She reached out, plucked a fruit off of the tree, and passed some to Adam, who was with her, and they both ate. And their eyes were open. This feeling that they had never felt before came over them. They looked at each other and for the first time realized just how naked the other person was. Wait, they too were naked themselves. This shame starts to rise up in them. They scramble around gathering leaves off of the trees, trying to fashion them into garments to cover themselves. And while they're doing this, they heard a sound. Footsteps walking towards them. 
more new feelings sprouted up as they realized that God was walking towards them. They felt guilty for what they had done. They had done the one thing that God told them not to, and following that fear of guilt came, uh, that feeling of guilt came fear. What was going to happen now to them because of their disobedience? So they jumped into the bushes and hid from the coming footsteps. As God entered the space, he called out, Where are you? Knowing that he was caught, Adam stepped out from the bushes. I heard you in the garden, he said, and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I told you not to? Adam felt the blood drain out of his face as the awful feelings of guilt and shame rose again in him. He looked around desperately for a way out, some way to get rid of this feeling. He saw the woman's head poking out from the bushes. It was the woman that you put here with me. She gave me the fruit, so I ate. God turned towards Eve. What is it that you have done? Eve felt those awful feelings of guilt and shame rise again in her. She looked around desperately for a way out when her eyes fell on the tree. It was the serpent, she cried. It, it tricked me into eating it. God turned towards the serpent and said, Cursed are you above all livestock and all that wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And actually, at the end of the story, we do see that God uh, makes some garments out of leather from some of the animals and gives them to Adam and Eve as warmer, more durable clothing. And God knows that they can no longer remain in the garden lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. So they're banished from the garden and out into the wilderness. Now, whether you believe that this is a historical account or not, so this narrative has significant things to tell us uh, about us and about the world that we live in. It's an attempt to explain how the world came, came to be as it is, at least the world from the ancient Israelite perspective. So we're going to make a little chart um, to look at what has happened uh, in this story. So first on the left side of this chart, we're going to put the characters uh, of the story, minus God, um, who kind of has uh, the relationship with each one of these characters. Uh, so we have Adam here. He is a representation of all of humanity. Then we have Eve, who is a representation of women. And then we have the serpent, who represents uh, creation and the creatures in creation. And the categories that we're going to talk about that go across the top of that chart there is going to be the commission, the, their action in the story, and the curse or the consequence of the story. So first, the commission is um, what is the purpose that God gives each one of these characters that is unique to them. 
And so since being fruitful and multiplying is a commission to each one of those characters, it won't be in the commission part uh, of our chart here, but there is one of the uh, consequences is does show up in the fruitful and multiply parts so that will come in a little bit later. But uh, so the, the commission for each for Adam and humanity, they're called to rule and subdue the earth. Uh, Eve or representing women was created to be a helper. And so to talk about this part of helper be, a little bit here, because the connotation that we can have of, of being a helper is a kind of subservience, a lesser than kind of connotation. But that's not what the scripture is talking about here. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, translates the word helper here as boatos, at least. That's my attempt at pronouncing the ancient Greek, boatos. And it's really used only one other time to refer to someone else, and that's in the New Testament, in Hebrews 13.6. And it says, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my boatos, and I will not fear what man shall do to me. So it applies to God as well. And helper is also a title that is given in the book of John, actually, though a different um, Greek word for it, um, for the Holy Spirit as well. So helper also refers to God in the other instances. So the Greek doesn't have that connotation of subservience. It's, uh, it's uh, here that Eve is commissioned as uh, equal to Adam. They're both to rule and subdue over the earth. And help comes to Eve just because she is created from Adam in the narrative. So having to deal with, dealt with that, the serpent's um, commission is to be ruled over. So this is where subservience comes in. It's creation to humanity as they have dominion over them. Um, and which as I mentioned last week, this dominion of humanity is to care and seek the flourishing of creation, not exploiting and damaging it. So there's our commissions. Adam is to rule over creation, Eve is to help Adam in ruling, and creation is to be ruled over. But as we look at the actions of the story, we see that they fail to do their commissions in this. Uh, Adam eats the fruit that he was told not to by the influence of the serpent. Some people, when they uh, read the scripture, will make the claim that women should be subservient to men because it was the woman who was deceived by the serpent. But the story says that she gave some to her husband who was with her. Adam was there and heard everything that was going on. He could have stepped in and stopped the deception. He could have refused the fruit, but he heard the conversation and was likewise deceived as Eve was. And so in doing so, being deceived by the spirit, by the spirit, by the serpent, um, he was not ruling over creation, but instead was ruled over by creation as he's influenced by the serpent's deception. Eve was commissioned to help by taking the apple and giving some to Adam. He, she failed to help Adam and instead dragged him down into sin along with her. Um, she also could have brought a stop to it in the conversation as well, so she fails to help. The serpent's commission is to be ruled over and it fails to be subservient to humanity by deceiving them and instead exert, exerts power over them by deceiving them and getting them to eat the fruit. The last uh, column is the consequences or the curses for their actions in the story. Since Adam failed to rule over creation by his actions, his ruling will now become more difficult. Human humanity has to labor and toil to eke out their food. 
most animals will not be domesticated but wild and at times uh, a threat. Since Eve failed to help, this is where the commission of being fruitful and multiplying becomes difficult in the pain of childbirth. And subservience starts coming into play as she loses this equality with Adam in the story. And here again, I remind you that this is written from an ancient Israelite perspective that viewed women as lesser humans, if they consider them as people at all. So finally, because the snake failed to be ruled over, hostility comes between creation and humanity. In particular, in this story, the snake loses its feet and has to slither on the ground. So these are the consequences that they face for their disobedience. It's an increased difficulty of their commissions. But really, the increased difficulty uh, of these commissions is uh, a symptom of the greater consequence. They're removed from the garden and they're sent out into the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness where the soil is difficult and hard to work. It's in the wilderness where pain and death and loss is and where nature is wild and untamed. And it is all these things because it is away from healthy relationship in God, with God. The, leading, uh, the leaving of the garden represents humanity's broken relationship with God. The closeness and intimacy where God walked in the cool of the garden amongst Adam and Eve is no more. There's now a barrier in their relationship, and that barrier is sin that has entered through their disobedience. And the broken relationship with God is the consequence of eating the fruit because of the declaration that Adam and Eve make by disobeying God and eating it. The serpent comes and he brings doubt to Eve. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The doubt is placed and Eve has to ask herself, is that what God really said? And doubt isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's our response to doubt that makes it either good or bad. Doubt would be bad in this case if Eve's response was to hearing the question, saying right away, how could God say such a thing? Well, you know what? I'll show him. I'll eat this fruit. In that situation, she's just hearing this question coming without even reflecting on it, accepts it as true, and follows into the actions with it. But in this story, we actually have a healthy example of dealing with doubt. She hears the question prompt to her, and she takes time to reflect and think about it. She thinks back to what God actually says and realizes that this question is wrong. God did not say that. He said he, she could eat from any fruit in the garden, just not this one tree. And then we see uh, a little bit of the serpent's tactics and deception. First, he expands the, uh, the exception that's made to say, instead of just one tree you can't eat from, did he really say you can't eat from any tree? Eve responds to the doubt and says, no, it's just this one tree we can't eat from. And now he focuses in on that one exception, as if the one exception is a problem, that there's anything that's banned. And he focuses on it by playing towards Adam and Eve's desires. He says, it, won't, it will not kill you. It will give you knowledge of good and evil and will make you wise like God. Being like God is what they wanted to be because it's built into who they are as humans. They were created, uh, um, but this promise the serpent's making is, uh, there's a problem to it, uh, two problems to it. 
First, they're already like God because they're created in God's image. And the practical outworking of that is they have been given the commission to rule and subdue uh, and have dominion over the earth. Caring for creation and acting as rulers over it is being like God because God is the creator and rules as king. So what the serpent is actually offering them is not to be like God, because they already like God, but to be God themselves. No longer would they be dependent on God for guidance. Instead, they would have the knowledge of God themselves and can, can take complete control of their own lives. And so we see that the consequence of this is broken a relationship with God because they have chosen to go it on their own and reject the guidance and that relationship with God by choosing to eat the fruit. By choosing the fruit, they decide that they want to be gods themselves. And there can only be one God in the relationship. And so God, the consequence of kicking them out of the gar garden is God giving them what they want. He allows them to go on their own because that's what they've decided by taking the fruit. The second problem uh, with what the serpent has promised is that the fruit turns out not to be quite as advertised. They definitely do get the knowledge of good and evil, but instead of the power and the godly feelings that they're hoping for, they're filled with shame and guilt and fear. They are overwhelmed by these new negative feelings, and so they grow afraid. The power is too much for them to handle. And as the knowledge of evil itself um, takes root in their lives, they end up being enslaved by that evil itself. It's much like uh, the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Romans in um, the New Testament. He says this, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. So this knowledge of good and evil uh, springs up in them, and the evil takes over and enslaves them with these evil desires and evil actions coming out of those desires, which is what we call sin. And it starts to take rule in their lives. And we see this effect of the knowledge of evil upon humanity, and humanity's continued work of trying to be God instead of being like God, um, throughout uh, chapters 3 to 11 of Genesis. First, you have a brother's jealousy of his sibling leads him to killing his brother. Eventually, humanity forgets God as sin has riddled them with self-centeredness, that they continually place themselves in God's role as king, and their wickedness grows as such that God brings a flood, sparing Noah and his family only. And then the climax of that section of the fall is actually uh, the Tower of Babel. And humanity gets together, and they decide to build a tower to get to the realm where God lives. And the subtle context that's laying underneath this story is that the goal of humanity is to make that tower into the realm where God lives, climb up it, up it and knock God off of his throne and put humanity in charge themselves. So it is ultimately them trying to ultimately realize the decision made back in the garden by Adam and Eve 
to be God themselves. And this is why God comes down and brings further consequences. They're scattered across the face of the earth and their language is confused. So this is how the Bible explains the state of the world and why it does not match what was set out in Genesis 1 and 2 in creation. Humanity as a whole has tried to be God rather than be like God. We have tried to kick God off of his throne and place ourselves into his place. And this is not how it was meant to be because we are created to be in relationship with God. And it's really hard to be in relationship with someone when you're continually trying to usurp their position as king. So the breaking of this fundamental relationship with our creator has caused a breaking of our relationships with each other and with creation. The task of ruling creation becomes hard as we now have to toil and labor to get food out of the earth, and we in turn exploit and damage creation. Paul talks about the whole earth yearning for its restoration. And our relationships with each other become difficult as it becomes a power struggle between us, not just between men and women, but men with men and women with women, all fighting for power. And as we look at these curses, um, there's a note to be made about this curse of women being subservient to men. And this is certainly the case for ancient culture and has unfortunately been the case of most of human history. But because we're living in this post-Jesus world, we can come at it with a different lens, a lens of what Jesus has come and done on the cross. Jesus comes and he pronounces the coming of the kingdom of God. And the early church quite, quite early uh, recognized this kingdom as both a here and not yet. So the, earth is co- uh, the kingdom has come to earth, but its full um, reality and all the full aspects of that kingdom being here haven't been fully realized yet. And so we see that creation is still yearning for restoration because that part of the kingdom hasn't come yet. And women still suffer great pain in childbirth because the part of the kingdom where pain and death and sorrow and mourning are no more has not been fully realized here on earth yet. But what has come in the kingdom now is a restoration of relationships. A restoration of relationship between humanity and God and a restoration of relationship between humanity and each other. And that restoration means that we ought to be living in the reality that we are in restored relationships um, where women and men are on equal footing. That curse is broken and shouldn't have a part amongst us anymore. And yet the, the state of our world is still broken because the kingdom hasn't fully come yet. The potential for healthy relationship with God and with each other is available and yet barriers still pop up for us. For we haven't been fully restored in our hearts, we'll still tempted and still do put ourselves or even others uh, and other things in the place of God. And so the call for us in the story of the fall is to examine ourselves, examine our lives, and see where we have placed ourselves on God's throne. Or see where we've placed other things like money or success, other people, family, work, on God's throne where he belongs. And when we identify those things, to kick them off that throne and offer it back to God. And so as we now enter into this next portion of our worship together, I invite you to spend time reflecting upon those things. 
reflect upon your life and see where are parts of your life where God isn't sitting on the throne. Spending time confessing to God those things that you have put in God's place and offering those spots back to God.